Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Shoftim, Chapter 2. Today we study Shoftim, Chapter 2, the second of our introductions. In the first, we spoke about the failure of the people to comprehensively settle the land, sometimes existing as a minority and making them within within their tribal areas and making themselves susceptible to the influences of Avodazara of idolatry. And they're so paralyzed, they're so unable to respond that when the prophet comes to rebuke them or the angel, they just cry. The second introduction begins in chapter 2, verse 6. It's quite fascinating what it essentially does, that paragraph, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, um, quotes the end of Sefi Hoshua as if now we're going to continue on straight from where we left off. It says, Yoshua sent the people home and they all went back to their uh, tribal areas. And the people served God all of the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who lived after Joshua. And Joshua died, the servant of God, 110 years of age. He was buried in his tribal boundary. And all of that generation died. And a new generation arose. That they didn't know God and what God had done for Israel. Wow. So here we've moved on a generation. We've actually quoted the very last paragraph of the book of Joshua. And now we're going to get a schema, a sort of like an understanding of paradigm of how things are going to go. And we call this the cycle, a vicious cycle. It goes round and round and round and repeats itself. So let's take a look at it. It begins with, Do that which is evil in God's eyes, namely, they worship the Baal. Later on, we're going to see in verse 13, they abandon God. And they worship Baal and Ashtoret. At a simple level, the Baal is the storm god, the rain god of Canaan. And since rain was a perennial problem, because it doesn't rain for six months in this part of the world, you could decide to try and serve God. And we're told that if we serve God, then, then the heavens will open, there'll be rain, and you'll have agriculture. Or you could go to the Baal. <laughs> you could go and worship idolatry and try and take a shortcut and try and do it that way a little easier than keeping all 613 mitzvot moreover if you were really assimilated into the um, tribes of Canaan as we read later on at the end of the chapter that there was widespread intermarriage you might feel that these were two alternatives and this one was as legitimate as the other. We could worship the Baal, or we could worship Hashem. In fact, in the language here, it even says, Hashem. They abandoned God, the Abdullah Baal, for Ashtoret. You know, it's interesting that sometimes when you have an immigrant generation, the immigrant generation, more than anything else, wants to acculturate. They want to adopt the norms of the country that they come to. So maybe B'nai Israel were really looking forward to being able to become a bit more Canaanite. 
Anyway, that's stage one of Odazara, idolatry. Stage two, Pasuk 14, Pasuk Yudalad. Vayicharaf Hashem Israel. God gets angry. Shosim, He puts them in, in the hand of oppressors who oppress them. The Jewish people are going to come under occupation from foreign powers. And here there is almost like a rota, a rotation of different uh, enemies that we have who are each going to come in their own way, whether it's going to be Aram in the first story of Otniel or Moav in the story of Ehud or Sisra and the king of Chatzor Yavin in the story of Devoram Barak. Midian in the story of Gidon, the Ammonites in the story of Yiftach, and the Philistines in the story of Samson. Each time it's a different enemy, and they might control us for eight years or 18 years or 20 years, but whichever way it works, each time there's going to be an enemy. Stage three of the cycle is that the people cry out to God. It says here, um, Verse 19, God will have, verse 18, that they will indeed cry out to God. Now, by the way, here's a critical thing. The people almost never, maybe once in the whole book, the people never do tshuva. They never repent. They never put away their idolatry. They cry out to God almost like an animal cries out in pain. They're, they're suffering, they're suffering from terrible occupation and from a crushing load of the enemy. And therefore they cry out to God. And maybe just like in Egypt, when God hears our cries, he comes to our assistance. But we have crying, za'aka, but no tshuva. And then it says, Pasuk Tetzayin, Vayakar Hashem Shoftim, he gives them judges, as we said last time. These judges don't judge in a court of law. They are really saviors. And the first role of the Shofet is to be a war leader. And indeed, that's what happens with almost all the Shoftim, that they are war leaders. But then it says, But they also didn't listen to their Shoftim, to these leaders. Because they preferred to go after other gods and to bow down to them. And it says that when uh, God set up for them Shoftim, and they, they would save them because of all their crying out. But when the Shofet would die, they'd go back to their own ways. What do we see here? That ultimately the Shofet was to have a dual role. He was be to, be, to be a military saviour, but he was also there to be a spiritual influence. Now something needs to be said about these saviours or these Shoftim. When we look through the list, there are actually 12 Shoftim. Otniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Devorah and Barak, Gidon, Tola, Yair, Yiftach, Yiftzan, Elon, Avdon and Shimshon. And if you look, they really come from every single tribe. Some are from Yehuda and Binyamin and Ephraim and Manasseh and Issachar and Asher and Zebulun and Dan. In other words, this is a trans-tribal phenomenon. Every tribe gets their shofet. Um, this is happening all over the country. No part of the uh, people can say that they are immune to this process. This is happening everywhere. And 
since the Shofet has its effect, he saves the people, then they go back to their own ways, and by Yicharaf Hashem Israel, and God gets angry again, and he says, since these people have abandoned my covenant, I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to help them further. And this goes round and round and round. How many times? That's a very good question. So as we're going to see, there's really something quite bittersweet about this book. As we read the heroic escapades of Otniel ben Kanaz and of Ehud, etc., etc., we're going to cheer on the sidelines with all of the uh, successes. And yet underlying it all is this cycle, which tells us that things are really awry, that things are not stable. And this is just a matter of time, and then things are going to relapse into an area um, of problematic behavior. Of course, as in the entire Tanakh, we, what underlies and underpins the whole story is that history is not random, that when we get invaded or that when we get saved, this is really a, a larger schema, a schema of sin and punishment processes that were already predicted in Parshat Azinu and other Torah texts, um, and that we can assess what we're happening on a matrix of sin and punishment. Everything is guided according to those rules. Tomorrow we will take all of this theory and apply it to the actual historical events happening in the tribe of Yehuda, in the tribe of Binyamin, and See you tomorrow when we'll learn all of those stories. You spin me right round, baby, right round, round, round. You spin me right round.